There's a funeral this morning. The angels gather around to take one of their number back up to higher ground. And I hope one day I'll see her somewhere beyond the Jealous love is left behind with the rain and the funeral bell. This is Tanya Marsh, and you're listening to Death at Sec. On last week's episode, I spoke with Brooklyn funeral director Amy Cunningham about the problems that funeral directors are dealing with during the COVID 19 pandemic. As we learned, families aren't able to grieve in ways that we're used to because social distancing and stay-at-home order mean we can't gather for a memorial service or funeral. But there are also, frankly, too many bodies in the New York City metropolitan area for the death care system to adequately deal with. Hospital morgues are full and overflowing into refrigerated trucks in their parking lots. Funeral homes have run out of space in their own refrigerated holding facilities and, as Amy explained, are using their chapels and other spaces as temporary morgues. This week, we continue to explore the impact of COVID-19 on the death care system in New York City by talking to two people who are very knowledgeable about the final destination for human remains, cemeteries, and crematories. I'm joined by Phil Tassie, the Chief Financial Officer at Ferncliff Cemetery in Westchester County, New York, and the current president of the New York State Association of Cemeteries, and David Fleming, the Legislative Director for the New York State Association of Cemeteries. Here's Phil summing up the logistical problem in New York City for us. Roughly 500 people a day are dying in New York City. And right now, according to a lot of funeral directors, 80% are choosing cremation. That gives you 400 cremations a day. The five crematories down in the New York City metropolitan area can do about 85 a day. So that leaves you 315 excess bodies on a daily basis. Is this problem a temporary symptom of systemic overcrowding due to a pandemic, or are there deeper problems in the New York death care system? My conversations with both Phil and David shed some light on that question, but as you listen, keep in mind that New York is one of only five states that require crematories to be located at cemeteries one of only a small number of states that require cemeteries and crematories to be owned and operated by nonprofit organizations, and has by far the fewest crematories per capita in the United States. Let's begin with my conversation with Phil Tassie. So, Phil, thank you so much for joining me today. I, we really appreciate it. Um, so you're the president of the New York State Association of Cemeteries. Correct. And the, the CFO at Ferncliff Cemetery in Westchester County, New York. Yes. So so could you start out by telling us a little bit about this, just the cemeteries that you represent, particularly the cemeteries that are located in the metropolitan area? Right, the downstate cemeteries. So the, the Association of Cemeteries is a group of, I mean, all cemeteries in New York are not-for-profit, so it's a combination of the not-for-profit cemeteries, the religious cemetery corporations, and the town cemeteries are all part of our membership. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the downstate area, there are a tremendous amount of cemeteries 
that either have burial capacity or don't. You have five crematories downstate in the New York City and Westchester County. You also have four crematories out in Suffolk County. Well, one thing that's unique about New York, you mentioned that cemeteries in New York are not for profits, which is there's not a lot of states where it's true that cemeteries are required to be not for profits. Um, But then another fairly unusual thing about New York is that your crematories are almost all located at cemeteries, right? That's correct. In New York State, I mean, all crematories have to be part of a cemetery. Right. So even if they're standalone, they are deemed to be a cemetery because it's final disposition. Okay, so you mentioned there's five crematories in the metropolitan area and then another four in Suffolk. How many, do you know how many retorts there are at each crematory? They vary in size, right? They do vary in size, but, you know, uh, my Ferncliff has five, Greenwood has five, I think St. Michael's has five as well. Uh, Fresh Pond either has three or four, and Woodlawn has three, but those are older. You know, I asked around, our capacity is basically all of us working double shifts can do about 85 bodies on a day. All, all of you in the entire city? All in the entire, so the New York City metropolitan area, we can do approximately 85 cremations in a day. Okay, and then the normal death rate in New York City, I think, is about 160 people a day. So right. your normal capacity for the normal death rate is fine, Right. That's correct. Yeah. So, and now we've got, I think, what, 540 deaths the last day that I looked? Yes. So the numbers are up tremendously. Right. So I I talked to Amy Cunningham, who's a, I don't know if you know her, she's a funeral director in Brooklyn. I talked to her on Saturday about the kinds of problems that they're seeing. She said that they have room in their funeral home for 10 uh, bodies. They have 62 and she's now at the point where they're turning families away because they can't, you know, they, they have no place to keep bodies anymore, right? Um, so it seems like storage is an incredible bottleneck at sort of all points in the process. And we've all seen photographs and video of the refrigerated trucks outside the hospitals. Um, is there a bottleneck on storage at your end too, or is it mostly just in terms of capacity in the crematories? Well, there's, uh, you know, what we're doing right now at our crematories, we're scheduling people out so that because we don't have refrigeration units. What we have done is we've taken all of the pews out of our chapel and we're using that as a, you know, temporary or receiving vault. Mm-hmm. There's no access. Everything is locked down. So at this point, we can utilize the chapel to hold bodies, but most of the bodies are coming on embalmed. Right. And with a refrigeration unit, we really can't hold that many bodies. So we're scheduling things out where we are receiving bodies six days a week. And on Sunday, we work a full day and we can actually do 25 bodies on a Sunday with the five retorts if we do five cycles. Mm-hmm. So we use that to basically clean up so that we're set again to take between 20 and 25 bodies a day every day of the week. Now, if you look on normal rate, you know, we did last year 3,400 cremations. So that comes out to basically you know, 11 a day. Right. So we're taking in more than double that. And we're getting calls for triple that. Right. And and there's nothing that you can do to increase capacity past what you've already done. No, absolutely not. The only thing that can happen is capacity can, if a hardwood casket comes, if a larger body comes in, it slows the time period down because you can't 
you can't increase the the time for doing cremation. Right. And then are you finding that more families are asking for cremation versus burial than they were a month or so ago? Again, because in New York State, the family started the funeral home. They don't come to the crematory directly. Right. So as far as people asking, we're not, the crematory is not asked whether or not you have capacity. It's done at the funeral home. Right. But in terms of, I, I guess, the communications you're getting from funeral directors, are you finding that the ratio of cremations to burial is changing? Again, I believe that the funeral directors we've talked to and what I've read in the paper, they, when New York's rate was just above 50% for cremation, mm-hmm. they're saying now it's closer to 80%, between 80 and 90% they're coming for cremation. Mm-hmm. In the same token, our burials are up. We normally do seven to eight, seven or eight full body interments and entombments a week. Mm-hmm. We're doing eight a day. So our burial rates have also gone up tremendously, and we're doing that with 50% of the staff. And why do you have 50% of the staff? We've cut down, so we've done a two-shift, just in case, you know, again, to protect the cemetery and make sure that we can continue our essential services. We've split our staff so that if somebody were to get sick and we'd have to quarantine a large portion portion of our staff, we'd still have employees here to do entombments and interments. So you're really trying to balance keeping your employees safe and healthy, right, and continuing to provide essential services. That's correct. And then obviously also trying to keep the public healthy. So normally with a burial, you would have family come to the cemetery, right? Yes. And so what's the new normal that you're dealing with now with respect to that? Well, the new normal right now, uh, Governor Cuomo's executive order told funeral homes that it should be immediate family only. Mm -hmm. So at our cemetery, we allow the immediate family to come for a burial. In an outdoor burial, we ask them to stay in their cars, take the casket out. We at least put it in the grave, if not do the full burial. And once our employees have left, the families are free to come and you know do whatever service they want graveside. Okay. So in the buildings, we do the same thing. So in the, the difference in the buildings is that we ask the families to stay in the car. The funeral director and one or two family members can accompany the body to the crypt. We will do the crypt entombment. And once our staff has left, we'll allow the rest of the family to come. But we allow a family member to witness the casket being put into a crypt. Okay. And then were you doing witness cremations before at Ferncliff? We have a push button. We allow push buttons, but we have suspended that. Yeah. And a part of that is in order to do a push button, you have to go into the chapel and we've closed off the chapel. Right. Likewise, we've closed off the office to the outside. So we have left the phone number on the door. If somebody wants, you know, has to come into the office, they call. Uh, if it's a sales appointment, they'll come up with a location in the cemetery for the sales staff to meet with them. But if a family comes to look up locations, we're giving them the locations over the phone. Plus, we have two kiosks on the property that they can go to a kiosk and find their loved ones. But visitation is down tremendously. Yeah. So I know you deal directly with the funeral homes and not not with the families. Um, how far, you said how far out are you scheduling cremations now? We are at May 8th right now. And what about burials? Burials, uh, probably next Saturday or possibly the Monday after that. And so are... Are cemeteries referring cases to other cemeteries? I mean, have you been in a position yet where you've told a funeral home we can't help you, or do you think that day is coming? 
No, I think that funeral directors are looking, especially for, I mean, a burial of people in bur- I mean, have burial rights here. They're being buried here. Right. They've already purchased the burial They've rights. They've already purchased the burial rights or they're buying at need because they want to be here. Right. But as far as cremation goes, the funeral directors, if they call around, everybody down here is in the same position. Right. I think we're at May 8th. I know that Woodlawn in the Bronx is at May 14th. Greenwood's at May 15th. So it's... Every every crematory is booking out right. weeks, you know, from now. Is there any sort of relief valve for that? Uh, there are other crematories in the rest of the state, right? And then there's also out of state that are close by. Correct. So David Fleming, who's our legislative you know, representative for NISAC, has been working with the city, the state, trying to determine ways to actually utilize the upstate crematories for some of the burials. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think realistically, if we can get refrigeration trucks to deliver bodies upstate to the other crematories, it could relieve some of the burden down here. Mm-hmm. So part of the issue would just be how to transport bodies from the metropolitan area to the upstate crematories. Correct. Yeah, because one at a time in a hearse would not be terribly efficient. No, I mean, it's not. It would just be fractional on the number of excess cremations right now. Right. But you're hearing from your members upstate that they have the capacity that they could help. Yes. Especially if you go into western New York, you've got the Buffalo area has six crematories. Uh, The Rochester area has another three. Uh, Syracuse, they they have, I don't know how many crematories, but I think one of the people that I spoke with during the week said that he could do 17 in two and a half days and he has the capacity to do that. So he could take 34 bodies over the course of a week working his normal business cycle. Mm -hmm. So I I know we can't plan a death care system around a pandemic because I mean, who could deal with, you know, five times the death rate. Um, And it doesn't make any sense to build an infrastructure for that, but it doesn't sound like New York has enough crematories, even in regular times do you do you think that there's a capacity issue well we haven't had the capacity issue as of yet i mean one of the things is that i know here at ferncliff we were looking at replacing two of our retorts so the the newer retorts i mean our retorts are 30 and 40 years old mm-hmm. you know if we were to look at replacing two of the retorts we could almost double the capacity of those retorts just by replacing the equipment mm-hmm. because the newer ones are more efficient because the newer ones are more efficient. Mm-hmm. There isn't a big profit margin in the cremations itself versus the cost of a retort. Mm-hmm. If you can make $50 on a cremation, but a new retort costs you $200,000, mm-hmm. takes an awful long time to make up the difference. Mm-hmm. Did you say the prices are regulated on cremations? Uh, our prices, we have to get approved. Uh-huh. We have to submit to the state for cremation or cremation charges. Uh-huh. So are there cemeteries in the metropolitan area that want to add crematories that don't have them currently? Uh, there are a few applications from, I mean, in White Plains up in Westchester County, an application was put in. They've had issues with the town getting the crematory approved. I don't believe there are a lot of cemeteries looking to add crematories right now. I know out in Suffolk County, one of the crematories just got approval at an emergency meeting two weeks ago to add two retorts, but that was in the works already. Well, it sounds like if it would take you a long time as a nonprofit to earn back what you invested in the retort, it may not make a lot of sense to expand a lot of capacity. 
No, it doesn't. But it, it, it uh, I mean, for, in the long term, mm -hmm. the crematory is a revenue source, is a revenue stream. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe fifty dollars isn't the right, but you know, our our cost for cremation is four hundred. I mean, our charge is four hundred seventy-one dollars. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you take the cost of the manpower, the depreciation of the units. You know, every 1,500 units you have, I mean, every 1,500 cremations, you have to rebuild the retort. So you have manpower, insurance, the profit margin is not, you know, it's 10 to 15% is what the profit margin is. Right, right. You know, but long term, it's still a revenue stream for the cemetery. And and it, from talking to funeral directors, it sounds like they're counseling families that we're just going to deal with the disposition now and the memorialization can come later. So would you expect, too, that you're going to see a lot more traffic at cemeteries when social distancing and is relaxed? Well, I, I believe so, yes. I mean, even, you know, under normal circumstances for grave burial or a mausoleum entombment, you know, the service is done. And then usually, especially for out at the cemetery, the memorials aren't purchased until weeks after the burial is completed. So mm -hmm. I think that we will have... You know, in the next, you know, once this is slowed down and things have changed, a lot of the burials, families will come out to, you know, we're a memorial park, so we do bronze markers. Right. You know, but even uh, the inscriptions on mausoleum crypts, I think that a lot of that will be done after the fact. Mm -hmm. So at, at Ferncliff, you're not allowing the public to walk around in the cemetery? Yes, we are. Oh, okay. We have the gates. Okay, but and you haven't had any problems with I, I, I know that there's some cemeteries in, in other places that have had real issues with people sort of pushing the boundaries and having picnics and we haven't had that. But what we're doing, especially we have a lot of large community mausoleums. Mm -hmm. We're asking people to follow social distancing protocol if they come and visit. Mm -hmm. You know, but we don't we haven't had people coming to do picnics, but we have people all the time. If you go out into the cemetery, there are a lot of individuals walking and know exercising within the cemetery yeah well it's beautiful green space right and yes. people need a place that they can go stretch their legs are there any other unusual challenges you're dealing with right now it's it's a difficult thing I mean, our challenges are not just in the number of barrows getting ppe is very very difficult and we're go reaching out to all sources we can to try to get masks gloves tyvek suits everything that that's really the challenge at the cemetery right now is getting ppe equipment and do you need that for both burials and cremation certain ppe yes we're putting on masks and gloves for the burials mm -hmm. in the crematory you know we're putting on tyvek suits for everything so the crematory operator the supervisors who are working on the crematory yeah you know are basically full head to toe with you know different types of protective equipment where when you're doing the ground barrels and entombments, you know, it's a little less. I mean, we're cleaning is when the caskets come out, we're actually disinfecting the caskets with the combination of bleach and water mixes or different you know, alcohol-based wipes. And then they're using gloves. They're using, you know, masks. Part of that is we don't have enough Tyvek suits to give everybody. Right. Amy, the funeral director I spoke to this weekend, mentioned that the bodies in their funeral home are being put into these trauma bags and then placed inside caskets. And so that's how they're coming to you. Or maybe that's not uniform and all funeral directors aren't doing that same thing. 
we don't know what's inside the casket. Yeah. You know, once the casket or the box burns, that we can tell what type of bag it is. And there are certain um, body bags that don't do, I mean, they flare up in the, in the retorts. Uh-huh. I know that the state is, I mean, we're working with the funeral directors to try to figure out how at least the crematories know that there's one, it's an orange body bag and it flares up. So we're trying to at least know ahead of time that this type of body bag is in there when you put it into the retort. Mm-hmm. It's a safety issue. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this was fantastic. Thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. You know, in the rest of the country, it's hard to understand what's going on in New York right now, right? Because we only get little glimpses of it. So um, really hearing from people who are in the midst of it is really helpful. Well, I, th- I think it is. It's, as you said, even upstate, they don't recognize. I mean, you know, part of what I've been trying to do is every week I send out a letter to the membership to update them on what is really happening at the downstate cemeteries and crematories. And most of them are understanding, but, you know, you can't really put it into perspective until you see it. Right. I never thought I'd see the day here where you go downstairs and there's 12 hearses online waiting to drop off bodies in a crematory. Wow. Well, good luck and stay well. Thank you, Tanya. David, thank you so much for joining us today. And and you are the legislative director for the New York State Association of Cemeteries. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so you have been very busy uh, dealing with this crisis. Uh, So I wanted to ask you first about some of the capacity issues. I understand from Phil Tassie that there are only five crematories in the New York City metropolitan area. They're running two shifts a day. They can only handle 85 um, bodies a day, and they're getting double that demand, and, and perhaps the demand is even increasing. So from your perspective, from the organization's perspective, what's the solution to this temporary um, but really acute capacity issue in the city? Well, um, thanks for having me. I think one of the, you know, biggest concerns I have overall, um, you know, just to take a step back is that um, through, you know, H1N1, Ebola, all of these other issues where uh, government and agencies come together and try to figure out how to deal with pandemic plans, um, it has always been the case, at least in the 25 years that I've been involved in death care, that um, the death care part of the equation is always, um, you know, given very little attention. And while it's extremely important that we focus on, um, you know, getting people through uh, the health care system, in a pandemic, the reality of the of the process is that we have a number of lives lost. And as horrific as this loss of life has been in New York in particular, um, if it had been even greater or close to the expectations of some of the analyses that were put forward at the beginning of the pandemic, we, the death care system in New York would be completely off the rails. We have absolutely no way to handle the quantity of deaths in New York uh, through our system right now. So NYSEC put forward a proposal uh, weeks ago, as a matter of fact, um, to uh, call for changes and suspensions of a uh, suspension of local law or state law and uh, local law as well as regulations to allow for the transport of human remains 
uh, by National Guard or state agency personnel uh, from New York City and start to uh, deliver those remains to New York uh, state crematories that have uh, additional capacity that could handle some of these remains. And part of that included um, the shipment of uh, refrigerated trucks to crematories across the state of New York. So crematories in New York are all state-regulated nonprofits, so they're, all, they're already quasi-government uh, agencies. So the ability to have those trucks at different crematories with refrigeration to immediately uh, take pressure off the city uh, metro area crematories and you know certainly as this virus has expanded um, the backlog in the city is just unbelievable and the press reports that are coming out of the city are just getting more horrific I think by the day and I think will continue to be so as we see um, this these really high numbers of loss of life on top of what would be a normal loss of life in a New York metro area so you you had mentioned that there's five crematories in the metropolitan area New York. Well, it's five crematories for nine million people, and right. uh, it's extremely difficult uh, for in in you know a normal loss of life to keep up with the uh, with that uh, quantity of uh, deaths being processed to crematories. Because obviously, while you can bury people uh, at an enhanced rate, it still takes just long to cremate someone. So, right. <laughs> uh, you right. know, that that issue can't be resolved uh, because of the lack of capacity, other than the association has been effective in working with uh, other groups, including the funeral directors, to request that uh, bodies only be delivered to crematories in uh, crematory containers. Mm-hmm. As, as opposed to the heavier caskets that take longer to burn? Sure. At the beginning, we saw you know one, one crematory in particular called me exasperated. The pandemic had really just started to... Uh, increased dramatically in the state, and a heavy uh, wood casket had been delivered. It took them seven hours to, with the size of the deceased oh casket, to, to cremate. So that's that's horrible because that was two less bodies that could could have been cremated um, based on right. that, you know one casket. Right. So we really pushed hard, and our industry partners certainly uh, responded rather quickly. So you know that has been the case that we're seeing really pretty much just plain pine boxes or cremation containers. But even in New York, we're starting to see a, um, you know, working on a daily basis as we are with state emergency management, we're starting to see a shortage of uh, the availability of cremation containers and plain pine boxes even. Yeah, and I talked to a funeral director this weekend who mentioned that body bags and trauma bags are also starting to um, become difficult to source. So Sure, and, tr- and you yeah. know, just to... Not to interrupt, but just to touch on that, the other issue is that the crash bags, the the heavy-duty body bags, disaster bags, create their own issues at the crematories as well because Mm -hmm. they're really thick um, plastic, and, you know, that causes issues for operators as well as emissions, so we have to be careful. Of course, if the bodies aren't transported, then those that creates different issues, right? From a absolutely, and that's employees. you know, oh. unfortunately, we're seeing the seeds who are you know sitting in conditions that are not ideal uh, for preservation of the bodies being delivered to crematories. You know, in some cases, three plus weeks after they've they've passed. So right. So you mentioned a couple of things that I just wanted to ask you more about. So so one is that um, the association had asked the state and and maybe local governments as well, to relax some regulations regarding the transportation of human remains. So is there law right now that would prevent funeral directors in the city from renting a refrigerated truck if such a thing was available to be rented and driving to Buffalo? 
to a crematory? Is there something stopping them from doing it? Uh, well, on any new cases, that is definitely um, doable, and I'm seeing it happen you know, around the state right now. I'm, again, I'm on daily and sometimes multiple times a day calls uh, statewide sure. where funeral directors are, are doing just that. But it is uh, our state's, you know, New York, we like to do, we like to regulate things and we're really good at it. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, our laws and regulations are really national models, as you know, in many areas. And cremation authorizations are really a, an important part of uh, body, body identification and trafficking or tracking. So, when we are when a family is making an arrangement they're designating a specific crematory for those cremated remains and the problem is not the cases that we can start at right now or last week where fam where funeral directors can go to families and say um look we're never going to get into one of these city crematories we need to designate it you know in Poughkeepsie or or somewhere else uh so we're going to designate that and that's fine the problem we have is we have over a month's worth of bodies stored in New York City metro area refrigeration or not um, that are already designated to a particular crematory, perhaps in the metro area. And so they, funeral directors couldn't just take those bodies and bring them to another crematory where there's capacity without um, some sort of executive order or relaxing of the cremation authorization statute because the bodies have to be delivered to the crematory in which they've been designated. Add to that problem the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it may just be a couple that's uh, by themselves in an apartment. The husband dies of uh, COVID, and the wife's exposed and under quarantine. Uh, right. So and it requires a physical signature in New York. Uh, that's been relaxed somewhat um, by an executive order, but still makes it very difficult for a funeral director who now has hundreds of bodies that you're trying to deal with, trying to backtrack and go through each single one of those to make sure that you can get a renewed authorization for another crematory is extremely problematic and, and really unnecessary in the middle of a pandemic. The laws that you or regulations that you ask to be relaxed would be really related to trying to route some of the bodies that are currently in storage to a different crematory. That's and and trying to make the cremation authorization forms easier to uh, get changed. And really just a suspension of the – if there's an authorization, that should be sufficient. The families authorize the cremation, um, you know, at least from my personal opinion, the families authorize the cremation. Um, as long as it's happening in New York where all the consumer protections are in place and all the body tracking protections are in place, I, I don't know that it matters in the face of a pandemic if the body's shipped 50 more miles away. Uh, to be cremated when we're in just such a, a difficult situation for our members in the metro area. I mean, it's they're just working under just horrible circumstances trying to meet the needs of these families. And so has the state said no to that request, or are they just focused on other things at the moment and haven't really been paying attention to this aspect of the problem? There's been ongoing discussions um, really at every level of government on, on orders related to this. Um, but frankly, there has been such a you know tumultuous situation in just the healthcare portion of it. I think this is less right. of a focus. But I think in the last week in New York, as stories come out almost daily now of just the absolutely horrific conditions uh, of around New York City and in New York City of these uh, body depositories where you know bodies are not getting processed and in fact New York City had I uh, was on a call this weekend they opened their information line for uh, the victims tracking unit which the police usually use just for crimes 
just so families could try to find their loved ones where they've gone to the hospital and they've never heard anything again. Oh, my gosh. And they had over 500 calls in one day. So clearly there is an urgent problem where we've got remains, you know, that are not being appropriately handled and, and processed. You know, I think for the the important closure for families is, is not being done because we're not allowed to decompress. And if nothing else, after this is over, I think we have to have a mandatory review of our pandemic response, which, you know, as I said earlier, if, if it wasn't um, – if the loss of life was even greater than it is right now, we'd be in serious, serious trouble statewide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there are structural changes um, to the death care system in New York that would also have to be reevaluated? I mean, maybe with respect to some of these um, paperwork things that you've mentioned and restrictions, but the biggest issue, it seems to me, is, as you said, there's only five crematories serving a population of 8 million people. That's that is a, a far less ratio than you have in other um, communities in the United States. Yeah, well, you expand that out further. It's even worse. We've got 49 crematories for 19 million people. Um, yeah. That's a problem. Um, and what, uh, Why, why of, do you think that is? Why do you think there are so few crematories in the state of New York? My honest answer is uh, because we're New York. Uh, we make it incredibly difficult uh, to construct or build anything, particularly something that may or may not have emissions. Um, what I find ironic is that, um, in, in, you know, when you're trying to site a crematory, um, people seem to be not as thrilled about having it uh, within their, you know, town limits. Meanwhile, you know, the estimates in the next few years for the level of cremation is almost 72%. So uh, clearly it's a service people want. It's got to be located somewhere. Um, But we also have structural problems in New York State statute where um, it limits the the availability of construction to areas based on volume and the state's estimate of volume. And I think this is where we have to look at it more closely and that one of those volume issues. um, So just to step back, to clarify what that means is that, um, you know, crematories in New York are cemeteries by statutory definition. So right. they're all nonprofits, and the idea from the state regulation of the crematories is that we don't, um, you know, hurt another nonprofit by having, you know, too many crematories in an area. But right. what we, but what I think we need to do and reevaluate is, does that calculation based on impact? also have to include a factor for pandemic or other responses where there's a tremendous loss of life and that we have to, while we may not have general business volume, uh, there has to be capacity volume to handle the number of potential deaths in the state. I think that has to happen. We have plenty of crematories that have perhaps two retorts that they could add a third um, and really have it available to them so that in these situations, um, they could respond for their colleagues in other parts of the state. And I think part of that is just a disaster preparedness plan that also immediately starts to deliver, as soon as we declare an emergency, starts to deliver refrigeration resources to those crematories so that we can start shipping bodies from places dramatically impacted to those that are less dramatically impacted. Well, then I also understand that a number of the retorts are fairly old, right? And it is um, expensive to replace one of the aging retorts. And and that maybe there are also regulations that make it more difficult um, to replace some of those aging retorts that would be more efficient? Yes, actually, it's um, 
you know, the funny thing about irony is how ironic it is. Here we are just literally <laughs> weeks before uh, a pandemic. Uh, the State Department of Environmental Conservation put new emission regulations out that effectively closed 30% of the cremation capacity in the state of New York. And I laugh just because I'm just exasperated by this. Um, you know, so here we are in a pandemic where we don't have enough capacity. and We're going to eliminate 30% of the retorts uh, and provide no – for these nonprofits, provide no – financial incentive to be able to replace them um, or, uh, you know, some sort of plan to help them cycle to newer, more efficient machines. And that's really, I think, something also that the state's going to have to look at. That I think that's it's clear that our members serve uh, a vital public health response during a pandemic and during any emergency, and uh, they need to be available and ready to help, and they can't do that on their own. Right. I mean, the whole system just seems so backed up. I mean, you mentioned healthcare, um, you know, hospitals, people go into the hospital and then families are having a hard time tracking them down. I talked to a funeral director this weekend and she mentioned how many calls they're getting from folks at home, uh, that people are dying at home. And then yeah. funeral homes don't have capacity to hold any more bodies. Um, and then cemeteries don't have any more capacity to hold bodies. Um, and so we're just leaving people at home. <laughs> Yes. Or I, or I guess the overflow valve is Hard Island, right? Yes, it is, um, and that's unfortunate. I mean, Hard Island serves a vital purpose for the state; um, always has. It's uh, or for the city of New York. It is, you know, the public burial ground. I've been there. I've, you know, been through the process and seen and talked to people who have have loved ones there. It does serve a vital purpose for those people who are who have been lost and where no family has been able to come forward or is unable to come forward. Um, so that it does provide a vital part, particularly in a pandemic um, where we have these, these folks. Um, but what we've seen is that unclaimed uh, in a pandemic is really uh, kind of a squishy term and that uh, because of the backlog, uh, we know of uh, decedents who had family members had already made you know, arrangements with the funeral director where the funeral director shown shown up at a morgue um, and the body was already gone and uh, had been sent to Hart Island. I think that's that's hard for those families, totally unnecessary. Um, you know, I think part of this is that we just have not been prepared as uh, citizens to, you know, properly handle the remains and be able to store them temporarily until the funeral directors and the cemeteries can arrange for the disposition and with just such a flood of human remains it's understandable that there's going to be backlogs i mean i think there's going to be backlogs no matter what but i think what we haven't done is uh to prepare for um proper disposition by being able to immediately start deploying resources and harlow island is an important resource for the city of new york but it shouldn't be the immediate fallback uh, for anyone uh, if they have someone who's willing to take care of the burial of their loved ones. Well, it is ironic, as you said, that it's difficult to change the cremation authorization form, um, but apparently bodies can disappear <laughs> and, go to, and go to Hart Island yes. without funeral well, directors. In those cases, they haven't been released to anyone, so they, they're still, you know, essentially claimed to be city responsibilities so um, I see so the funeral director didn't show up in a period of time to claim the bodies right. that the city was needed them to 
so before the pandemic, I believe it was a 30-day hold uh, that would happen with the medical examiner, the coroner, or whoever. Um, they would hold the bodies, and then they'd be released to Hart Island. Uh, during the height of the pandemic, uh, we were told unofficially that that hold had been reduced to six days, uh, which, you know, it's taking weeks to get people from the morgue to the uh, crematory. So that's obviously going to be a problem for a lot of families. Uh, and then there was tremendous outcry from um, our association and the funeral directors and others um, about how unrealistic that was. And, um you know, as a result, they increased the hold to 14 days, and we have that in writing. And then we're told it was increased uh, to 15 days, which, frankly, is still not sufficient with the number of backups. Um, you know, I think if you were trying to get someone in a queue right now, if you're already in the queue, it's going to be at least, you know, weeks before you're getting to a crematory if we don't change uh, the statutory provisions. So all those are in danger of having their remains shipped to Heart Island, which you know right. creates a whole host of issues for families. So then you know who's going to pay for the disinterment? Who's going to pay for the reinterment? Um, you know it's unfortunate. Yeah. So are you optimistic that something is going to be able to be done, working with state and local officials to try and solve some of these issues in the short term? I have to always be optimistic. Um, you know, I've been on these calls uh, every day uh, for, you know, seven days a week since this began. Um, you know, really it's sometimes feeling like I'm smacking my head against a wall because I'm saying the same things. It's kind of ironic. My son was sent home from uh, college and uh, is staying with us, obviously, during the pandemic and uh, when his cl college closed down. And so he strolls through my home office while I'm on these calls all the time. And uh, he said to me one day last week and said, Dad, isn't it weird that every single call I walk in on, you're saying the same exact thing that you said <laughs> the day before? I said, well, that's actually, unfortunately, part of what I do. Uh, hopefully you say it enough that eventually people listen to you. Um, and, and we have. And, I, you know, I, we've been extremely aggressive. We have wonderful uh, advocates at the highest level of government. But the impact of this pandemic is just so broad-reaching. I think it's hard for people to focus on all these issues. And unfortunately, in the business that we're in, um, you know, we tend to be the last folks that are uh, looked at or addressed. And usually, by the time they're ready to do that, it's too late and too late on it for a number of reasons. Too late for the families that have been suffering and too late for the public health response, which um, I'm hoping doesn't happen. So I do have some optimism particularly coming out of this weekend that we've, you know, some of the highest levels of government have reached out to us, including this morning, saying that, you know, we hear you, we're working on these issues, but uh, the wheels of government move slowly. Right. Well, let me ask you one thing that I that's sort of not related to this, but I was really curious about. I understand that a bill to legalize recomposition has been inter was introduced before any of this started in the New York Senate, right? The, the composting that started yeah. out in Washington yep. State. Do you have... Has the association taken a stance on that, or are you watching that legislation? Oh, oh, absolutely. We've been closely involved. We actually, uh, it was basically rewritten after our uh, after we weighed in on it. We we oh, okay. redrafted the whole statute to uh, reflect. Um, really, it mirrors the cremation statute. Uh, has the same kinds of authorizations and holes and those sorts of things. So, uh, we're trying to be. Um, 
you know, proactive in addressing the needs of the people that we serve, and this seems to be something that people are interested in. A number of members of the legislature have responded quite positively. That's not been the case from some of our industry partners, but um, Mm -hmm. that's, uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, this session is extremely weird. Right. So would the idea be that those facilities then would also be cemeteries in New York? They could only be located at cemeteries, correct. You don't have emissions issues, right? I mean, I wonder if that might be part of a solution to some of the issues with trying to get um, crematories, especially in, you know, you, you don't have perhaps some of the back, you know, nimbyism issues. I think that's true. Um, and particularly the people that are, you know, becoming politically active or more so these days, um, they're looking for alternatives and this kind of, um, you know, dovetails with what they've been advocating. So I think there is the possibility that this would make sense in areas where perhaps a crematory uh, was less acceptable. But this, you know, this not to be, you know, flip, but I, you know, I, when I was asked by legislators, I said, do you actually support this? And I said, well, it's cemetery light. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, right. It's the reduction of human remains. We've been doing that for a couple thousand years, so we're kind of right. familiar with it. Um, right. So that's you know how we view it, and I think you know the disposition within a cemetery uh, makes sense. And I think you know it's part of our our mission to serve our communities. I think if this is just another opportunity to do that, and there are certainly plenty of urban cemeteries uh, that might have a little room that this kind of thing might make sense to them. There are plenty of other cemeteries where it won't, but I think there's. Uh, Plenty of folks that are interested enough that we're, we've been uh, supportive of the bill in its current form. Oh, that's great. Interesting. Yeah, well, it, it, it actually passed through the Washington legislature much faster than I thought it would, and it got introduced in California and New York much faster than I thought it would. Great. I was too, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't sure how it would go over, and I think, you know, with the groups that you would expect there would be opposition, there's opposition, but there are plenty of folks that make it makes sense to them. And, uh you know, I think that's that's fine. So, you know, it's drafted in a way we're comfortable with it. So we'll see where it goes. Well, thank you, David, so much. Was there anything else you wanted to? Uh, I think, you know, one of my biggest concerns is that uh, we meet the needs of the people that uh, are working to help these families. And one of those ways is to make sure that they have PPE and, um, you know, other protection equipment, just like any other healthcare professional. And I'm hoping that we can somehow as a nation figure out how to get these frontline people the uh, PPE that they need. Absolutely. Well, keep up the good work and stay safe. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Many thanks to both Phil Tassie and David Fleming for taking the time in the midst of a pandemic to talk to us. Phil and David gave me a lot of food for thought. When the current wave of this pandemic is over, we should all give some consideration to the role that death care plays in our society and the appropriate level of regulation to protect consumers and protect public health, but also to make sure there are enough providers to keep the system moving smoothly. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out our next episode of Death at Sec.